You're listening to Everyday Parents, a day in the life podcast. We share the everyday routines of parents from all kinds of families. Our episodes start with getting to know each guest family, then go through their daily routine and wrap up with some reflective questions about parenting. I'm Jerome Cluck, a stay-at-home dad to our daughter, Charlie, and half of your hosting team. And I'm Caitlin Kirby, Jerome's wife, Charlie's mom, and your podcast co-host. On this week's episode, we are welcoming Anouk. Anouk lives in Quebec with her husband and their three kids, ages 15, 13, and 4. And most of the family is neurodivergent in one or multiple ways. Welcome, Anouk. Please tell us a little bit about your family. Thank you for having me on your podcast. Um, I have a family. I have three kids. My youngest is four-year-old soon to be five. My oldest is 15, soon to be 16. And my middle is 13. We had two miscarriages and experienced secondary infertility in between the second and third. That's why there's a big age gap in between them. The last one is kind of a surprise, but a great surprise because we didn't thought we we would have that third baby. Okay. Is there anything else significant that you want to share about that journey or pregnancy and, and birth? I kind of added all the experience. I would say I gave birth exactly the same way in, in some way, like the, the process was the same for the three, but my first was a hospital birth. We were there for 22 minutes before um, he was born. So my second and the last the day after I was still in the hospital and the pediatrician told me next time you should plan birth at the hospital so that doesn't happen and he doesn't he's not born at home. And at that moment, I was like, okay, my second is going to be born at home because for me, that was kind of normal since my sister was born at at home. So that's what happened. So with my second, we had midwives and here the midwives are a bit different than I think in the U.S., their role is a bit different. Uh, they don't work in hospitals. Like they all, they are the only caregiver when they they work uh, with with uh, parents and families. And my third was supposed to be the same, but after, like she was, uh, and I don't know the English term exactly, but there was some complication, and I had to like emergency uh, birth at the hospital after all three weeks early. But the process was kind of exactly the same, just in completely different settings. (laughs) Where do you live? I live in Quebec, Canada. So my first language is French. And so it's you and your three kids. Anyone else in your household? Uh, My husband and um, our dog. And it's a pretty neurodiverse family, um, which means for those that are not familiar with the term, neurodiversity is a lot of different uh, things including uh, giftedness, ADHD, autism, dyslexia, dysorthographia, and other things similar. So in our household, we collect ADHD, autism, and uh, giftedness, a mix of that in everybody. And I kid and I say that the dog also has ADHD in the house. <laughs> it's it's nice. kind of that profile. <laughs> so everybody but me has ADHD here. <laughs> Do you want to describe your neighborhood a little bit? Are you in a house, an apartment? Yeah, uh, we, in fact, we just moved in a year and a half ago. We were basically big, like the biggest city here in Quebec, close to downtown. I've been living in those area for all my life. Um, and we moved a year and a half in the country. 
So an hour and a half away from where we used to live. And we we had an apartment there. Now we have a house with like a very like 200,000 square footage of forest in the backyard instead of nothing, <laughs> basically. Uh, we had a very, very small backyard, smaller than our kitchen. So yeah, it's a, it's a change for sure. There's... Um, I used to bike everywhere or walk or take public transport. I didn't own a car. I'm I'm 40 and I didn't own a car a year and a half ago. It, it will be two years. In January, it will be two years that I bought my first car because I didn't need a car back then. Now I always in my car. <laughs> always. And we'll talk about the routine, but it's a big, big part of my routine now. Did you move just for the to have more space to be out in the country? That was the main reason, and um, also because um, our house was like our apartment was too small. We had basically two closed rooms, and we were five people, and it was not livable. And the housing in Montreal was very, very like the price is very high. So uh, we moved also because basically we sold that, and we paid two cars in the house, and we still have money to make some renovation that's the plus side of living a big big city and going to the country so yeah what do you and your husband do for work my husband work in i don't know how to translate that in u.s words because it's like just it it's the a liquor store if you will like place where you can buy alcohol here it's it's the state property and so it's a government-owned company, basically. So it works. Yeah, there are there are some states in the U.S. where it's like that. You can only okay. buy alcohol from state-run stores like yeah. that. There, it's not only them. You can also buy some alcohol, like in grocery stores, for example. But it's not the same one. Like the one you can buy in the grocery stores in general are way cheaper <laughs> than the other ones. <laughs> So, um, yeah, so that's what he does. And I'm a freelancer and business owner. I have a master in social work. So I do advocacy for a um, patient organization of people living with migraine. And I also work for a foundation that works with parents of kids with heart disease. I do group and individual support. And I, as a business owner, I support parents of what I call kids, emotionally intense kids, which are basically kids that resemble mine <laughs> and uh, are a bit intense, like think toddler tantrum, but up until teenagers. So that's, that's what I do as a, as a business owner, but it's all basically rooted in my social worker training. Are you working directly with the kids or are you doing more of the admin and higher level support? I work with parents. I've always worked with parents. I've never worked directly with, with kids. Um, before moving, I was a social worker in a readaptation center and hospital for kids, but I was always working with parents. As a advocate, I work more on the higher level. So I develop tools uh, to help patients, and I also uh, advocate on the government level too. Okay, because I was thinking otherwise, that's a lot of time with neurodiverse children. <laughs> no, no, I would, I would not, no, no, too much for me. <laughs> I have enough <laughs> in my house, thank you. <laughs> but I would say lots of parents of kids that might be intense can 
the intense adult now because they were also that it, like neurodivergence is genetic in most cases all cases i would say unless it's an adopted child um but it's still genetic and so often the at least one of their parents also is neurodiverse but it's not only the neurodiverse kids some can have anxiety or trauma or there's other reason why a child can be emotionally intense are all of your kids in school during the day uh no <laughs> i have my older one is right now in school he does a special program where he does two days a week is finishing his high school diploma and three days a week is in chef uh, professional training so it's a program specifically for kids that don't necessarily fit the system and are struggling to finish. So even if he can have really good grade when he wants, it, the school is not the setting for him because he needs to to move too much and be like hands-on too much. So the school, regular school is not for him. So that's a program that is available just at the level he is now, which I found sad. <laughs> I wish he had access to that earlier, but that's great. Anyway, um, my second is homeschooled because the school system was really not working for her. And my youngest is part-time in the part-time preschool right now, basically because preschool starts at five years old here. And that's the, the program that we found because we lost our daycare last year. What does your support network look like? Who is in it? Um, where do they live relative to your new location and how often do you see them? Um, I would say that's not the easiest when you move away from your hometown. We used to live just below my parents. We had a three-story building um, that we owned. So we live on the ground floor. My sister lived on the second floor and my parents on the third floor. We sold that building um, when we moved. So my sister moved to a city that is too two hours and a half away and my parents are four hours plus a boat or helicopter ride away because <laughs> uh, where they live it's an island and there's no bridge and so the state is paying for the helicopter like they have to pay a small fee for the ferry to go there and in, in summer but now at this time of year there's no ferry possible because there's ice yeah all right that's a that's a new one for us we've definitely had a lot of people who live very far like countries or continents away from their family but um haven't had a helicopter ride yet to have to <laughs> yeah, get there. That's, that's really not common for sure in general you need to be really rich to have an helicopter which is not <laughs> the case it's really a state a service because they don't have a bridge Locally, we have like, I have a friend who moved at the same time as we moved here. Two of my daughters and she has three. Uh, they really like play well together. Um, but, uh, and we had neighbors. We met like one of our neighbor is um, studied with me and at a university just happened to like met and we were like, hmm, we know each other. And that was just like, oh, wow. like that. And they grow a uh, organic vegetables so we have that just next door basically i would not say it's necessarily a support network it's just a funny <laughs> funny thing that happened yeah so i would say our support network right now is mostly remote like my parents are teaching french and math to my daughter who's homeschooled via zoom four days a week two hours a day so they're very present in our life and very helpful, just not there physically as much. They come maybe once every two months for a few days. 
Were they homeschooling as well when you lived all in the same building? Uh, no, not really. No, not it. That's, I would say that's new. Although we homeschooled my old, two older one when we, they were like my young, my second was five, four and five. And my older one was like first grade, second grade. We homeschooled them, but they were not really there. But my, my father has been helping my son with math for a few years and now, and he helped my son also a bit in math. He was temporarily homeschooled also. And so, yeah. Is there anything else you want to share about your family? No, I think that we went over that already. The rest is more routine related. So I'll leave it for the second part. <laughs> Let's get into it then. What time do you wake up and what happens first? It depends on the day. So since my um, son has a different schedule, two days, the, the two for first day of the week and the last three days of the week, he doesn't start at the same time. And my daughter goes at two different places also and two different times. So the Monday, for example, my daughter has nothing. She stays home, my, my youngest, but my son is going to his high school, which starts at nine. So we generally, I generally wake up around 6, 630 because I want to do yoga in the morning if I'm able to. I will do five, 10 minutes, but I prefer to do that than nothing. <laughs> Um, and sometimes my youngest kind of joins and kind of mess with it, but it's still okay. And my son is like a typical teenager who doesn't eat breakfast. So he will generally get up at 15 minutes before we leave, but I need to prep my youngest. So it takes like an hour or something in general. Most of the time on Mondays, my husband doesn't work or he works a little bit later. My son could sometimes take the bus or we will bring him, like get him to school because in the country, like there's a school bus since we live um, far from the school. So on those two days, he could take the bus, but most of the time he will miss the bus or he prefers us to take him because he really doesn't like being on the bus. Then we will get him. We go back. Uh, we come back. I have a meeting for my uh, advocacy uh, contract every Monday so my daughter will look at TV shows while I'm on a meeting for the first two hours of the day on Monday and then it really depends since she's home we do different things right now we often go to uh, appointments because all my kids have different uh, appointments with professionals and so uh, Monday afternoon we will often have one and then my son comes back from uh, school. My husband has a changing schedule, so every week it's different. So it's we really have to adapt who goes to like get the kids to school or daycare or pick them up depending on his schedule. And since I'm working in the roles that I have, if he's there, he's taking care of everything and I'm working. If he's not there, I'm basically taking care of everything. With a couple of the kids being older, are they ever like home alone while you're driving the younger one around or does everybody kind of go together to ferry people around to all of these places? No, my two older one will stay home uh, if they don't need to be there. My oh, second one is basically always home. Like, honestly, sometimes I'm like, where is the last time you went out of the house? It's, it might be a month. So I kind of have a ticker, kicker out. Um, but my youngest she's she's the one coming along with us like she, i'm i'm going we're doing a lot of of route like in 
on the, the, the second day. So on Tuesday, she has daycare in a community center for like from nine to four. So I bring the two kids in the morning and in general, I have the entire day to work, which is my only day. And then I pick them up at the end of the day. And then the three other days, that's when my son is at the professional program and my daughter is in preschool. So that I calculated that all of those days, I do a hundred kilometer. I don't exactly know what it is at mile, but <laughs> it's a lot of road because I get them both and it's in really different places. Then I come back, my daughter does half day. So at, the, at noon, I need, need to go pick her. I come back. We basically eat. She's super tired when she comes back. So she kind of lay on the sofa. She doesn't nap anymore. And she hasn't been napped, uh, napping for the entire summer. And when she naps, she will fall asleep at like 10 in the evening. So it's not mm-hmm. a good solution. So she doesn't nap, but she will like lay on the sofa and look at the TV because there's nothing else she can do. So for an hour and a half, she's useless. <laughs> it's kind of her nap. And so after that's kind of a... Something that might be surprising for other people, but neurodivergent brains need something to calm down. So they need to anchor their brains on music or TV or, and in general, something they already know uh, will help them calm their brain because their brains always, always, always work. And that's tiring. So when they can anchor on something, and generally my daughter will look at like really young kids' TV shows at that time of day, like things that are really all not something like for two-year-old, not for four-year-olds, because it really like no-brainer, basically, and it calms her brain. So it allows her to just settle down a little bit for a little bit of time, and I can work. So that's great. And then um, we go pick up my son at three in the afternoon. So we do another car ride. Your middle daughter, I know you said your parents are teaching her on Zoom some of the time. Does she have other homeschool supports, or are you checking in with her throughout the day yeah the rest is me like I'm I'm checking what she's like she has like curriculum that she will be doing for the rest so I'm checking on her every hour basically to see where she's at um and following what she's doing but we don't also have a very other than with my parents she has a very set schedule but the rest she does at different sometimes she will do her work at nine in the evening instead because she doesn't wake up before 10 in the morning. And that's kind of like, she would wake up later than that if I let her, <laughs> but yeah, she, she, since she homeschool at 11 and three, then she needs to wake up at 10. Cause even if she's not leaving the house, it takes her an hour to be ready. You all do have very individualized schedules then. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> Nobody has the same, like I, we have kind of a schedule, but it really, you don't want to see my Google calendar, seriously. It's kind (laughs) of a mess. (laughs) There's a lot of stuff in that. What about afternoons and evenings then? So the four-year-old needs her chill out time. What else is happening after the school and work days? In general, we will be close to having to go to get my son when she's done resting. We will play a little bit. Since she's been in school for four hours, very intense, and it's very hard for her to concentrate in those times. And she, I, I don't 
do anything structured for the rest of the day. So it's mostly um, physical activities. We have a trampoline, trampoline and uh, we will dance a lot. We do dance party all the time. <laughs> and so we will do more physical things. We will do uh, playing with like kinetic sand or things like that that are helping her regulate uh, and calm um, because she's been using her brain and trying to control her impulsivity and her like movement a lot in the morning. And so, yeah, we, we don't do any uh, stru- anything structured for the rest of the day for her. And we go pick my son and in general, the after it's really got like, we don't have anything set. We do whatever she wants to do. We'll play. We'll um, sometime look at something later, later on. We'll, prep dinner depending again on when my husband comes back in general he, he cooks more than me i have a ton of sensitive like food sensitivities so food is not fun for me at all so i don't really like cooking anymore um but he really he loves cooking so when he's home earlier like early enough he cooks otherwise i will um take care of it and honestly i kind of work in the cracks of everything so I will often do like buy things at the grocery store that I can just pop in the oven and <laughs> call it quits because I'm not a big cook. I can cook. I just don't like doing it. <laughs> we have a lot on our plate. So I totally let go of the pressure of having that perfect meal that nobody's going to eat anyway, because they are all pretty difficult with what they eat, especially my older, oldest and youngest one. Do you eat? together in the evenings more or less my son really eats with us and generally eats later in the day um he blows he does glass blowing as a hobby (laughs) which is um kind of not really common and pretty costly i don't recommend that to anybody (laughs) (laughs) i don't think there's a most more costly hobby Uh, he does that like when he comes back from school it's kind of his um special interests so people like our neurodivergent often have special interests that they really love immersing themselves and they can do that for hours on end so that's what he's gonna do until he comes back like he does that in a little um space outside of the house because i was gonna ask does he do that at home (laughs) no yes and no like it's it's at home but not in the house because that's kind of dangerous um it's oxygen and propane at the same time with torches and yeah no not in my house (laughs) so we built him something outside and kind of remote a little bit and so yeah he does that uh mostly all evening it's like it's it it helps him regulate and relax after his school because like my daughter it it requires a lot of for from him to stay concentrating and concentrate and follow it what is ask ask cool so it's not a setting that is very easy for him so it's helping him when he comes back so we will do that until like 9 10 in the evening then he's gonna come back eat and go to bed so he's we go we, we wake up pretty early and we go to bed pretty late that's the reality of having a four-year-old and teenagers <laughs> Because the teenagers, I need to kick them to bed at like 11, 11, 30, and even midnight, past midnight. Sometimes they are still not sleeping. That's the teenager's reality. Um, they're, they're in bed, but they're not sleeping. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What about bedtime for the four-year-old? What does that routine look like? 
it's more like it's bath book and we have um a brush that is a special brush that helps um stimulate like deep make a deep pressure that is also calming for her and she will um we will do that before bed so we brush her or uh, massage her before bed and in general what especially when she's been in school in the morning she will fall asleep in like five minutes um when she was napping it would take an hour and a half for her to fall asleep but once that she doesn't nap like my older daughter was the same at two year old she stopped napping and when she went to the daycare like she switched daycare and they were forcing her to nap at three year old and it was a nightmare she was not sleeping before midnight for 45 minute naps in the afternoon <laughs> but she really didn't need a nap so that's also um yeah a bit different maybe most people will tell you need to have a child nap for till four but in my house, like my older one napped, like he was in preschool at four year old and he was still napping. He was falling asleep and I had to pick him and carry him home. Till he was so, so tired after the, the day. <laughs> I, I even fall, fell asleep in my arm once when we were walking back home. And he's pretty heavy. So that was not an easy one. Um, but my older daughter, my two daughters, like my older one was a two-year-old. She was done with napping. And honestly, she was very, like she was doing well until 8, 8.30 in the, the evening. She was really done napping. And I was the same uh, when I was young. I stopped napping at two. In my uh, my third, she kind of stopped napping at, I would say, three and a half. She, she three, three and a half. She didn't need naps. The daycare was kind of forcing her to nap still last year. Uh, but we stopped and she was very, like at the beginning, it was a bit hard because the transition was a bit hard. She was tired at the end of the day and the beginning of the school year for the first maybe three weeks or a month was very hard. She was exhausted by the end of the day. Um, but when we found a balance of the little TV in the afternoon, because I was trying to do stuff when I was coming back from school, but it was just too much for her. So when we found that balance, now she can go up until eight and at eight she's she's done <laughs> what do you and your husband you and your husband do in the in-between when she goes to bed and sending the teenagers to bed um clean the kitchen most of the time <laughs> i often i will go back to work because i work in their back so i will often work like my right now is often a time i work anyway like between 8 30 and 9 10 i will work we will binge watch shows in general shows we've already looked at because we're too tired to look at new shows <laughs> nope. right now it's more christmas movies but you know mm. same thing doesn't need any brain um any other weekly activities to note would say depends of the season so there's a be like my daughter does hours back riding in the summer my son goes skiing it's not necessarily weekly that end of the weather but he goes skiing he, he discovered ski when we moved here he never skied before <laughs> but he, he he got good like that's one of the thing when neurodivergent brains decide that they're gonna learn something they can be good very fast because they're really focused so he was he catched up with his friends that were born here and been skiing since they were five years old. So he catched up in one season to them and now he's able to follow them. So they go ski together. So yeah, he, often in the evening, there's a, a small ski, uh, like 
a small mountain in the city and we get the ski on that mountain. So it's really close. And we also go to a little bit farther, but it's one of the great things where we live is there's lakes and mountains very close by. Everything is like 15, 20 minutes. Um, so we are in the country, but the downtown is 17 minutes from my house. So that's very great. Hey, how does a 15-year-old get exposed to glass blowing? Where did that come from? <laughs> um, Instagram. Okay. Wow, I didn't even but, think about that, of course. Yeah, but honestly, like the first time he was exposed to glass blowing was in New Orleans. Uh, we went when we were homeschooling at first when he was seven. He, he, he turned seven when we were there. He was he had his birthday when he were, we were there. We went to New Orleans because there's a French history in New Orleans. And so it was kind of a field trip for us to go there. That's why we chose New Orleans. Also, it was February and one of the places when it was warmer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and we ended up on Magazine Street and they had a glass blowing place when we could look at people blowing glass there and my two kids stood like we stayed there for an hour and a half they were just mesmerized like that wow. and looking and so that's the first time he saw glass blowing what are their sibling interactions like would say the two older one now they don't interact much uh they are really they have they always been really different but younger they were playing together i would say they never fought for the same toys because they had no common interest whatsoever. But they were playing mostly outside together. Now that they don't play, they don't really have that much of a relationship. They will talk once in a while. But at some point, my daughter said, like, I think I haven't talked to him for a month. And I really believe that. <laughs> she lives with her headphones on all the time for noise reduction because she's highly sensitive to noise. So sometimes she's out in the communal space, but she doesn't even hear us. And they really don't have any common interest at all. So sometimes she will show him something or things like that, but not much than that. other than that. My youngest and my older one are very similar, very similar to the point that sometimes my youngest is like, my, my older one is really mad at her, but I'm like, you know, you're the same, right? <laughs> um, but they kind of get along to some extent, but the, the age difference make it not easy to for and them to get along for sure. Uh, the, the, like they don't have much to do together. But yeah, I would say right now they don't have a lot of relationship for different reasons, which is hard, honestly, for as a parent. I I hope it's gonna change when they grow because they did have a better relationship when my youngest was really small, especially during COVID. She was kind of the entertainment for everybody. <laughs> she was one and she was like, I had no idea what was happening. She was just happy to have everyone <laughs> at home. We were still working, my husband and I, outside of the house, but uh, my kids were home full time. So she was happy to have people with her at home. And she was very funny. And so, yeah, it was a bit better when they were a little bit younger right now. They find her annoying most of the time, sadly. So they don't have a lot of patience. So I hope when everyone grows, it's going to come back, you know? Yeah, it's a tough set of ages, I think, like the age gap and then just yeah. the teenagers. Yeah, the teenagers is always has some struggles and um, the age gap makes it very not easy. Like we cannot go or have a 
an activity that everybody's gonna mm. like or we cannot go to the movies looking at the same movie together or there's not much activity we can do as a family so it's not the easiest for relationship building with with between the siblings for sure so you had said uh <laughs> neurodivergence is uh sometimes genetic um it, it's but... all, all always genetic yeah there's always a genetic uh, yeah, if you have a child is neurodivergent, their parents must might not know, but there's at least one parent who's neurodivergent in some way. Okay, and so you said your husband is as well. Yeah, okay. but I think I have some in my family also. Like I might not be, but my my aunt, that's not something that would be what happening right now. But she get into university at fourteen because she skipped so many grades. So she was definitely gifted, but she is definitely gifted. And my sister also is gifted, I'm sure. And we don't know, like maybe my, so I do have some in my family. It isn't like, I've never been diagnosed and I don't see any sign of me having any of the typical neurodivergence. I do have some that are very not talked about a lot, but not the, the most, the one we see the most, which are ADHD and autism. Hello, listener. If you are enjoying this episode of Everyday Parents Podcast, you can go to our website and fill out a questionnaire to be a guest on future episodes and enjoy an episode of your own. That's everydayparentspod.com. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook at Everyday Parents Pod. And you can find us on Patreon, where for $3 a month, you can subscribe to get early access to video episodes of the show and maybe sometime... You could buy individual video episodes. I don't know. We're looking into spicing it up there a little bit at some point here. And we appreciate you being along for the ride. That's uh, $4 Canadian. Uh, Anouk, at the end of every episode, I give our guests three wrap-up questions. Um, I'll give them to you all up front, and you can take them in any order you would like. So... What would you say has been an example of a parenting success lately, like an individual experience that you would call a win, uh, and then one that you would call a challenge? And then uh, you have told us so much about your wonderful children, but what else do you like to get up to when you're not parenting? I'll try to remember them all. So <laughs> I would say the challenge right now, the challenge is probably to have no physically physical support system like nobody close by like right now like we we were a few minutes late to the recording because i ran to the store to do christmas shopping because i didn't add time at another 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 time basically and i cannot have anybody uh, babysat my youngest because i don't know anybody here and she is kind of a handful so <laughs> i don't see myself leaving her with a regular like 14 year old babysitter nor my older kids and so that's why support system is definitely a challenge and having kids that don't fit the school system is definitely a challenge too in general because it's a lot of work and advocacy work with the school when we try to have them fit and other than that adapt so i would say that's also the win it's the first year that i really let go of what we expect i don't have a child who's regularly in school right now anymore like all my kids have a weird setup <laughs> of completely different and we are trying to find what works for them because the school was just traumatizing for them 
And I still don't know what I'm going to do for my last one because she's starting regular school next year normally. And I don't see that happening anytime soon and working. And since I saw the negative effect it had on my older two, I'm not looking forward to it. Um, and what I do outside, and it still is something I do as a parent also, I'm a photographer. So I do a lot of photography. I've been doing, this year it kind of took a dive, but I was doing what we call the 365 project for four years now, which is at least one photo a day. Um for every day of the year and doing like big albums at the end of the year. I don't think I have one photo a day. I'm pretty sure I don't have one photo a day this year. I um, changed my computer and the tech stuff of reorganizing my, my <laughs> all, all my like apps and external drive and things took me a, a while. <laughs> and so I took less pictures and I was also uh, overwhelmed, I would say, with life. So I took less pictures, but it's a self-care thing for me. I really love taking photos and it's a way to uh, focus in the moment. It really, and it's a proven mindfulness yeah. approach. Photography is used as a mindfulness tool. Most of the time it's more in nature or with like macro photography, which is small, small things, but I do it in documentary photography, which is just documenting our everyday. And it allows me to focus on things that my kids are doing more deeply, um, taking times where I would, no, normally just brush it and do something else like the dishes but instead I take my camera and I focus on what they want like what they're doing or what they're interested in so um, yeah that's my main hobby uh, what about your husband as a hobby yeah he is a he loves play, uh, working with wood so he's nice. like we just add uh, trees cut down um, because we we needed to have them cut down. They were too close to the house or they were dead, and so he's uh, looking forward to make some um, shelves with them and other stuff. So he really loves playing with woods. Um, if you get your son to blow some stained glass windows, the two of them could put up a church in that <laughs> acreage behind you. <laughs> That's a big work. <laughs> <laughs> something to think about <laughs> <laughs> i don't know if you can blow glass to make windows though oh well <laughs> i don't think so <laughs> i've exposed my rate limit of knowledge on this subject <laughs> <laughs> you need to google a little bit about that <laughs> well that's exactly what i'm doing after this uh anuk thank you so much for taking some time out of your busy schedule to share your family with us in a day in your life thank you it was a pleasure i really love the idea of your podcast so I'm yeah, glad thank you so much yeah thank you. a lot of fun to talk to people like you so thank you again anuk everybody what do you know about glass blowing caitlin I know that it requires a flame and usually the glass ornaments are swirly and they have colors running through them. I feel like lately I've been fixating on a lot of the less essential points of our conversations lately and I'm going to do it again here for a second. But do you remember that guy in our high school that would blow glass? No. All right. So my only experience with blowing glass is from this guy. And can you guess why he was blowing glass? Marijuana. <laughs> That's exactly it. That was exactly okay. where my mind went when she was like, oh, my son blows glass. I was like, oh, I see. No, I actually a woman who couch surfed with us when we lived in New Zealand. She was also like a poi champion. Is that a fish? And poi is like a kind of juggling. 
And she oh. is a glass blower and we're on Instagram. And so I see her posts all the time. Okay. So when we were in high school, marijuana was not legal in Michigan. And so there was a whole underground industry of acquiring it and using it. And how do you use it? Well, you have to go to this guy because he will blow you a glass bowl. And even if you didn't partake, it was still fun to watch. I hadn't thought about him in a long time. So thanks, Anouk, for that trip down memory lane. And thank you all <laughs> for coming with me. So it also seems, based on some of our last interviews, that whether you're homeschooled or not, uh, there's a fair bit of Zooming involved in learning these days. 